So, Will. Yes? I'm curious. You have been tasked by a movie studio to adapt a beloved children's book into a movie, but the only caveat is it has to incorporate obscene amounts of violence. What would you choose, and how would you make it violent? All right. I got two words for you. Wild rumpus. (laughs) What I want to do here is take where the wild things are, a story that, in a way, is about a child with uncontainable slightly violent energy. And what I want to do is really just lean hard into that so that when the wild rumpus starts in the land of the wild things, there should just be Tarantino levels of violence as Max and the wild things tear into each other and rip one another apart. And then maybe Max like destroys all the wild things and is left alone. And that's why he has to sail back. That is much more gruesome than I was anticipating. Uh, I was picturing just like animal sacrifice or something, not Max becoming a genocidal maniac. But I think that that is the way to do it. And part of the key to making it work is that Max is not doing this out of malice. It's out of like capriciousness. Out of just sheer curse of Dionysus. He's searching for something, anything that can put an end to his relentless chaotic energy tame his wildness even if it is mass murder he needs to destroy the wild thing within him by destroying Uh, the external wild mm, things yes deep Mm. what about you so my thought is the classic kenneth graham children's story the wind in the willows (laughs) is a perfect example of a wholesome world where pretty much nothing goes wrong except for a frog speeding in his car my idea Take that one scene where Mr. Toad goes for his wild ride and have him mowing down pedestrians, full of malice, aiming for people, trying to run over anything and everything on the sidewalk, and ends crashing into a public school or something along those lines. (laughs) So he ends by just killing a bunch of children. (laughs) Yes, he ends by crashing his car right through a public school. He gets the same punishment as in the book, which I think is just like going to jail for a little bit and then paying his way out because he is rich. So it becomes a commentary on how the wealthy can get away with murder. And then it just goes back to whoever the main character is doing some spring cleaning with his friend Mr. Badger and Mr. Hedgehog or whatever. So I have never read The Wind in the Willows. Everything I know about it comes from the Disney film, (laughs) The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad which exclusively focuses on Mr. Toad's wild ride. So this is very easy for me to visualize in that Disney animation style. And I think that the question you need to decide for yourself is, is Mr. Toad willfully reckless? Or is he seeking to kill as many people as possible in this ride? In which case, I think that he needs to be using his enormous fortune to, like steampunk up his car with like weird hammers swinging on the side of it that hit anybody that the car itself goes by he rolls his car out of the garage and it's not a car it is a city eating city from mortal engines look municipal darwinism is the way of the future prepare for ingestion should we watch mortal engines again the Real question is, how have we not already watched Mortal Engines again? My boss, who is a lovely older gay gentleman, 
out of the blue in a team meeting referenced cities eating cities and couldn't think of the name of the film and i had to contain myself from actively cackling during this meeting at the idea of michael having not only seen mortal engines but enjoying it enough to bring it up during a team meeting i am delighted to discover that the mortal engines 4k blu-ray is very inexpensive. <laughs> How much does it cost? Like $12. Oh my god. Maybe our first reunited movie night post-vaccine dose 2. I just bought a new speaker system. I got the subwoofer. Like, I'm ready to let those engines rip. But only for a time, because they are mortal. Well, yes, of course. Oh boy. From a film that is inexplicable in its goodness but also badness, to a movie that is just inexplicably bad. I think it's time we start the episode. I suppose we should. (laughs) Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is a podcast dedicated to examining the least important question facing the world today. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And did Will Gluck make a movie about a rabbit wanting to f*** Rose Byrne? No, he made two. Oh god, why (laughs) already with the reminder that the sequel exists? Also, are these people dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation, or if we can't tell whether a relationship (laughs) is supposed to be romantic or not. We will dig in and see what's there, and as Mark has alluded to, this week we are looking at a movie we've been discussing on this show since before it was released, Will Gluck's 2018 adaptation of Peter Rabbit. I hate this movie with such a passion. It is just so painful to watch. I can't believe I have now seen this movie twice. Right. We hated this movie even before it came out. We saw it because of that. I mean, yeah, we willfully exposed ourselves to torture. It was one of those things where you see the movie trailer so many times that we had come to hate it. And I decided that I needed to justify my hatred of Peter Rabbit. So I decided to go and see it, and you came along with me. The movie came out in February of 2018, which meant that I think I first saw the trailer when I saw Coco at Thanksgiving. And so then, for the entirety of the holiday season and early awards season, I was just seeing this Peter Rabbit trailer over and over again, and I despised it. It was a terrible trailer. It's a bad trailer for a bad movie. And we thought we had come up with a good plan, where we gave it a couple of weeks after it opened. So anybody who was like, a Peter Rabbit diehard would already be able to go to the movie. And then we went to like an 8 or 8.30 p.m. showing on a Friday when we were like, yeah, you know, the kids will be going to bed before this movie ends, so nobody's going to take their kid to a movie that starts this late. And we were wrong. We were so painfully wrong. It wasn't just the two of us either. Nick came along, the three of us got drunk beforehand, showed up, and we couldn't book in advance because I think we were either movie pass or stubsing in. It was movie pass because we we went to the Regal in Silver Spring. Oh right. So this was a movie pass movie, but we show up to book our tickets on the screen, and the screen map pops up and there weren't three seats next to each other anywhere in the theater. So we're immediately furious because our plan to go to an empty screening and heckle Peter Rabbit has fallen apart before it even began. We tried to give it the Robin Hood treatment where we were generally the only people there and were actively cackling. Man, that's a movie we gotta do. Oh yeah, it is. Didn't we already say that and add it to the schedule? I think we said it. It is not on the schedule, but I'll put it in there now. Check back soon, listeners. 
We've also been recording out of sequence for a while, so it's possible that in an upcoming episode we talked about it and I forgot to add it to the list. That is also very possible. I cannot keep track of what I have said in future episodes. So anyway, this was now our second time seeing Peter Rabbit. It's an idea we've toyed with doing on the podcast a bunch before, but we decided that the time had come because sometime around when this episode comes out, Peter Rabbit 2 colon The Runaway will be released in theaters. Will, I do want you to give a rundown of the planned release schedule of Peter Rabbit 2, because it is, I think, the craziest of all of them. Okay. So, after the success of the film Peter Rabbit in 2018... Which is inexplicable, because the theater full of children that we saw this in did not enjoy the movie very much. There was not laughter. They were not enjoying the movie. It was not a movie where I was watching it and thinking to myself, I can't, like, uh, kids really have no taste because they're enjoying this. It was, the kids are all right because they seem to hate it too, but the box office numbers suggest otherwise. So, anyway, Sony ordered a sequel, again directed by Will Gluck, co-written by him with Patrick Burley. It was originally scheduled to be released on February 7th, 2020. It could have come out on that date. I saw movies that were released after that before everything shut down for the pandemic. They delayed it from February 7th to April 3rd, I assume to have it closer to Easter for the rabbit thing. Of course, April 3rd, 2020, it could not open because theaters around the world were shut down. Well, rumor has it, Will, that they accidentally edited buttholes onto every rabbit and they had to go (laughs) through and digitally remove all of the buttholes. I mean, I don't think there is a butthole cut of Peter Rabbit, but that fancy pig has weirdly defined butt cheeks. (laughs) (laughs) He really does. Those pork loins are well... I don't even know how to finish that sentence. It feels so weird. Anyway, the movie was delayed from April 3rd to August 7th due to COVID, from August then to January 15th, 2021, and then to April 2nd, 2021, which would have been around Easter a year after its last pre-COVID release date. Theaters in a lot of places were not open in time for April 2nd, So it was pushed to June 11th. At that point, I said, theaters are opening up. We can put Peter Rabbit on the schedule. We'll put it out around the June 11th release of The Runaway. After I put it in the schedule, it then moved up to May 14th. So I shuffled things around. And that's the schedule where our listeners are right now. It's mid-May. They're listening to this episode. May 14th is Friday. But after we locked in that schedule, Peter Rabbit 2 The Runaway moved back to July 2nd, you know, so you can see James Corden as Peter Rabbit on your 4th of July weekend. Mark, since the last time we talked about this, which was four days ago, it has moved again to June 18th, 2021. What's weird to me about this is, like, every other movie that's shifted around the schedule just keeps moving back. Peter Rabbit keeps bouncing back and forth with the chaotic energy of a murderous mammal that will shoot blackberries at you. It just keeps moving two weeks in different directions. I now feel like Peter Rabbit is trying to kill me as well as McGregor. That is insane, and I don't understand at all why they keep changing it. I cannot tell you. Sony is just trying to break my brain, I think. Sony's just messing with us at this point. We should acknowledge that Peter Rabbit 2 was released in Australia on March 25th. So it's already out there, but we just keep being teased. Have you been able to find any Australian reviews of Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway? A very Australian movie? Honestly, I have not looked for them. 
I assume it is equally Australian as this first one, which is quite Australian. Yeah, it is ostensibly set in the English countryside and also partially in London. And yet, I think every actor except for two are Australian. Well, they shot it in Australia. And as we talked about on our episode about Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, the way to get tax subsidies from the Australian government when you're shooting in Australia is to have a certain percentage of your cast be Australian. And we do have that in this movie with, like, Sam Neill as Old McGregor and Rose Byrne and El- Sia Elizabeth Debicki, Margot Robbie. Right, there is a lot of Australian talent in this movie. And the animation is primarily done by Animal Logic, which is the Australian animation company backed by George Miller that animated Happy Feet. A movie that exists. Let me tell you. It's weird, as someone who watched it for the first time in 2020. It is a strange film. If I, I remember as a kid thinking, this movie is weird. A penguin is trying to talk to an oil tanker currently. You know what's a weirder movie? Surf's Up. Happy Feet 2. There's a Happy Feet 2? Oh, yes, there is. I didn't even, I honestly did not know that. It's probably on HBO Max. It's an experience. <laughs> it's not one I'm gonna recommend, but... You'll have a time. A time will be had by all. Whether it is good or bad is yet to be determined. Right. Wow. So, anyway, we started off this Peter Rabbit conversation by mentioning Will Gluck, who we've talked about on this podcast twice before. He directed Easy A and Friends with Benefits in 2010 and 2011. And the only movie he directed between those two and this one, really, the only movie he directed between those two and his Peter Rabbit duology... Hopefully not a trilogy. Is the 2014 version of Annie. That is a movie I am curious about. For which he also served as lyricist. I am interested in that movie because it is the movie that made Cameron Diaz quit acting. (laughs) And I don't think it was the movie's fault specifically. But that does make it Is there a causal relationship there? I don't think so, but it does make it interesting to me to investigate. And also, I think Jamie Foxx plays Daddy Warbucks. Yeah, but they changed the character's name to Mr. Stacks because he's got stacks of money. Ah, yes. Maybe his parents weren't war profiteers then. An idea that you once threw at me, and I had never considered that Daddy Warbucks made his millions, like, financing the Great War. Why? I cannot remember why Daddy Warbucks bought an orphan. So, I do not know the comics. I only know, like, the classic Annie musical. I grew up on the Wonderful World of Disney TV version with Victor Garber as Daddy Warbucks. And the premise in that one, which I feel like we've explained recently, but it is a baffling thing that is worth reminding people of, is that he was an orphan. So I guess he made, yeah. So he was an orphan, and every year at Christmas, he, like, brings an orphan into his home and is like, hey, orphan, like, have the rich life for two weeks, and then I'll send you out to make something of yourself. And then one year, like, Annie is the orphan who's brought in at Christmas, and he's bewildered because he's like, this is a girl, orphans are boys, what is this lady doing here? But then she warms his heart, and they fall in family with each other, and he adopts her. Can you imagine, like, the idea that he just is confused by an orphan being not a boy is so unbelievable. It's very weird. It's very strange. That 2014 Annie, though, like, might be something we should look at. Uh, We should consider it. Yeah. It has these original songs written by Will Gluck. I have no idea what those are like. But it's like, it was very much marketed as Cool Annie. Yeah, it was a hip Annie. But also the music was written by Will Gluck, who, 
I like Easy A. I actually really like Easy A, but it's hard to forgive him for this monstrosity of a film. Yeah, I, I think we should consider it. I think we could... I I am interested to watch it, but also I am now thinking more about how much I hate this movie and I kind of don't want to support him. But, I mean, you are going to go with me to see Peter Rabbit 2 The Runaway in theaters when it eventually opens. No. Mark, we got to do it. It's going to be our our back to the movies together. (laughs) If this is the first movie I see in theaters, I will. I don't know what I will do. It just won't be. My current plan is the first movie I'll see in theaters is The Green Knight on July 31st. I mean, that's going to be awesome. It looks incredible. Remember like two years ago on this podcast when we explained The Green Knight trailer to Mora? No. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to comment on it and then I realized the correct answer is just no. All right. (laughs) Speaking of like children's literature adaptations, the movie is co-written by Will Gluck with Rob Lieber who also wrote Disney's Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, the one with Steve Carell as the dad. Another very successful children's film that I feel like no one remembers, talks about, or enjoyed that much. I can't remember if I saw part of it on TV or if I just remember the trailer, but all that's in my head is a shot of Steve Carell as the dad being like, we have got to beat this day! Yeah, because it's the whole family that's having a no good, very bad day. Yeah. It's not just Alexander. The other sort of like interesting film industry story connected to this is that the public first learned a Peter Rabbit film was in development because of the Sony hack. The fact that we live in a world where North Korea hacked Sony pictures because they were mad about a film where James Franco, I think, killed Kim Jong-un. And we learned about sexist pay practices as well as their upcoming film slate is just so bizarre to conceptualize it's one of the weirdest things that ever happened i just can't get over jennifer lawrence pay equity scandal that came out of it that's the thing i remember most i think it was on american hustle where she made just so much less money than the others the one that i remember because like this is the world that i live in there was like a lot of back and forth about what they would and would not do with the spider-man character And there's, like, apparently something in the rights where, like, their live-action Spider-Man, like, has to be Peter Parker, which is why Miles Morales is in the animated movie. That's so weird. Yeah. Why would you limit it like that? Because Spider-Man is so interesting in that there are Spider-Men. Right. Just look at the success of Into the Spider-Verse. Clearly we want more than Peter Parker. But yeah, like, that was part of it, too. And that also, like... It was, like, right after they made the deal with Marvel to share the character. And so, like, all those emails came out, too. One of my favorite things is lists of studio rules about characters or other companies. The fact that you can always tell when a character is a good guy because they have an iPhone. If they're not using an iPhone, it probably means they're the villain. And some of that just gets back to the, like, people don't use specific brands because they don't want to piss off companies. Like... A company can't actually sue you if you have, like, Doritos in your movie. You just might have to deal with a frivolous lawsuit, and no one wants to put the time and money into that. I just love how terrible some blurring is on TV. I mean, it's not in movies because you don't have, you know, reality movies. I guess documentaries, but yeah, that's what those are called. isn't going to blur out a can of Pepsi in a way where you can still read the word Pepsi, but it's slightly blurred like some terrible reality shows. I think we're watching different reality shows because on my 
primary reality show, whenever a brand is involved, it's like a big deal because it means that they've sponsored the reward challenge. And so you're going to eat whatever that brand is after you win with your tribe. You really, like, you don't have to blur things out, right? Correct. You do not. I love the pear that shows up in all the Nickelodeon shows on their computers instead of an apple. Sure. A classic move. Not just limited to Nickelodeon stuff. Yeah, actually, it's not. No one's patented that, so I think it can appear anywhere. Well, we are getting kind of far afield. Should we start talking about the romance of the award-winning film Peter Rabbit? If you can't tell, we hate this movie and do not want to talk about it. What award did it win? Because I'm fuming. Okay, so it won an award at the AACTAs, which are like the Australian equivalent of the Oscars. I really thought you were going to say the AARP Movies for Grownups Awards. So this would have had a hard time competing at the AARP Movies for Grownups Awards because by this point they had discontinued the AARP Movies for Grownups Award for Best Movie for Grownups Who Refuse to Grow Up. The names at that award show are the longest and most cumbersome and I love them. (laughs) They're so great. I watched the ceremony this year. I saw on your Instagram story that you were watching it and I lost it. Who is the host of the AARP Films for Grownups? Uh, this year it was Hoda Kotb. Also, we should acknowledge they broadcast the ceremony a full month after it takes place. So because I made plans to watch it, I had to like be very careful on the internet for a month and not finding out the winners. Who's spoiling the AARP <laughs> movies for grownups awards, Will? All of the Hollywood trades, which I follow on Twitter. Do they really cover it? Yes. Which is, is important. Oscar feeder? It's very important that they cover it because, as I've mentioned, I've had a hard time finding out for the podcast when a movie has been nominated for the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards. So I've taken it on myself to write all of the Wikipedia pages for these awards. I'm working my way through it. There is now a page for AARP Movies for Grown Ups Award for Best Movie for Grown Ups. So, like, you can find that. You can find pages for some of the ceremonies. But I need sources that are not AARP for it to qualify as a subject worthy of a Wikipedia page. And they're kind of hard to find. Yes, because no one cares. Will, you should write the article. I think it's very funny. But I have also, like, taught myself to write Wikipedia, and it's pretty fun. You should... Honestly, try and get an article published somewhere that you can cite so that you can then cite a second source. There's one that I can't find. It's the 2015 awards for movies from 2014. It's the year that they gave Best Movie for Grown Ups to the Theory of Everything. I cannot find the nominees for that year. I can only find winners. I've been DMing the AARP on Twitter trying to get them to tell me what issue of their magazine I can find it in. Because I don't want to start buying magazines on eBay if I'm wrong. But I need to know what the nominees were at the 14th annual AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards. My mom is a member of AARP, I think. Maybe we can use her connections. That would be great. Or if any listeners know... The nominees at the 14th AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards. This is not a bit, I'm not throwing a hashtag on here. I genuinely very much want to know this. I don't know if I could continue with the show with the knowledge that someone knows the nominees when you don't. I think we will have to replace you with the person that knows the nominees for the 2015 <laughs> AARP Movie for Grown Ups Awards. It's like Highlander rules. There can only be one. 
There can only be one. Anyway, again, we're still so hesitant to talk about this movie. I think we should start diving into the romance. I mean, if we must, such as it is, we're going to be talking about this, but a fundamental problem is we're not sure how much romance there is in this movie. There is a romance that is definite, but there is also one that is very confusing. It's possibly the most important romance in the movie, or not a romance at all. It's extremely edible. Let's just be honest. <laughs> yeah. Is Roseburn Okay, this is actually just point one. So real quick, every week we break down the romantic plot line into five points to help guide the conversation. Point number one, does Peter Rabbit want to have sex with Rose Byrne, or is she a mother figure? Or is it both? It is both. <laughs> it is both. I promise I'll always be here for you. And she has, ever since their mother died. Look, we have gotten pretty deep into this episode without talking about the fundamental problem with this movie, which is that Peter Rabbit is played by James Corden. I don't think this would be a good movie if Peter Rabbit wasn't played by James Corden, but I think the movie would be better. Right. And I think we're not coming at this from a position of, like, James Corden is intolerable at all times. No, both of us are fine with him generally, and I think. Yeah. I don't go into any James Corden project assuming it will be bad, even though I am getting there as time goes on. (laughs) Yeah, the prom really did some damage on him for me. I couldn't even watch it. It looked so painful. But the problem is that James Corden's like, aren't we having fun? Look at us having fun. Everything is great energy. That like, I think he often harnesses well, like as a champion for like stage theater being like this thing that some people look down on actually is fun and rules. The problem is, when he is Peter Rabbit, who, as we alluded to at the start of the episode, is just gleefully violent to a horrifying degree, when he brings that James Corden energy to it, it just feels like we're supposed to be on board and also think that he is cool and not a murderous menace to society. The fact that they tend to just break the fourth wall does not help either. I mean, the fourth wall breaking is... The worst stuff in this movie. Peter Rabbit will, like, literally look down the camera, look at you, and say, are we having fun now? That is what it feels like. I mean, the worst example of it is when they've discovered that Donald Gleason is allergic to blackberries, and he's like, oh, that's stupid. Like, people are allergic to everything these days. And then Benjamin Bunny says, oh, no, like, allergies can be very serious. And Peter Rabbit's like, oh, yeah, of course, some allergies are really serious. Totally, of course. And then he stares at the camera and goes, we don't want to be getting any letters. And it's like, you can't have it both ways. You can't be like, allergies are a very serious thing that people shouldn't mess around with. But also, we're going to try to murder this guy and cackle with glee while it happens. This movie. Before we saw it, we both knew that the Allergy Council, or I can't exactly remember what the organization's name is, was protesting the movie. And I was like, okay, this is, uh, it can't be that bad. Why are they protesting Peter Rabbit? And then I saw it and I said, I agree. Yeah, I was in the same situation. This movie should be protested on the grounds of not just using allergies as an attempted murder weapon, but also the scene where they discount allergies as a concept. Right. They're like, allergies are stupid, but if someone has one, it's fun to attack them with it. I mean, in a movie, a serious movie about someone trying to kill someone, if they use allergies, I don't think that is like, that is not... That's fine. We love Parasite. Right. It's not, that's not 
degrading people with allergies, but saying in a film that people with allergies are dumb might be pushing it a little far. Especially a children's movie. I just don't get it. I know children shouldn't be able, like, probably don't have the comprehension to write children's movies, but adults seem to not be able to either. (laughs) So maybe we should let them have a try. I mean, the thing is, if we're talking about adaptations of sweet English children's stories, this movie opens in the U.S. less than two months after Paddington 2. And it did so much better, and that is something I will never get over, because Paddington 2 is a perfect movie. Yeah. I believe it was my number two movie of that year on this show. I think it was definitely, it was in my top 10. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Yeah, This movie's such garbage. Anyway, uh, Peter Rabbit wants to bang Rose Byrne. The reason that it's tricky to nail down is that sometimes it is framed as like, since the death of Peter Rabbit's mother, Rose Byrne has been like taking care of them. And it's definitely framed that way sometimes. But she's not making them their clothes. She doesn't know where they come from. Goes out of its way to say that she doesn't know where the rabbit clothes come from. Which then makes it weird that she insists the rabbits could not possibly push a detonator. She's like, these rabbits are probably sewing jackets, but could never push a button. Also, the idea that only some of the animals wear clothes, does that make the animals that aren't wearing clothes naked? Like, is the deer a streaker? (laughs) It doesn't make sense. There's no uniformity, there's no consistency, and there's no explanation. Anyway, the big issue is that, like, Peter is clearly romantically jealous of Donald Gleason when he starts dating Rose Byrne. Which is why, as you said, it is, minimum, pretty edible. He wants her to be his mommy girlfriend. That is what he wants, at the end of the day. And I don't know if that's going to be followed up in Peter Rabbit 2 The Runaway. The trailer starts with Rose Byrne's wedding to Donald Gleason. At which Peter Rabbit is like the ring bearer or best man or something. So I guess he's decided to be cool with it. Yeah, I would guess that that is less of a thing. And I wouldn't be surprised if he has a cool city girlfriend. That's what I was going to say. The two trailers for that movie are very different from one another. There's the one where it's like Peter and all the animals from this movie like go on a city adventure together. There's a different trailer where Rose Byrne has like fully become Beatrix Potter and has written the tale of Peter Rabbit and is like on a book tour. And Peter tags along with her and discovers that, like, he is a celebrity among rabbits who I guess have also read Peter Rabbit. And I could imagine him, as you say, like, hooking up with a city girl the way that he clearly is trying to in that one scene when they're all sitting in the trashed house. And he's, like, spouting, like, existential dorm room nonsense at that rabbit with the skirt while crashing to you place. So dumb. So dumb. Also, I love that they go back to the city well, even though a significant scene in this movie is Peter Rabbit learning to be in a city. Well, see, the thing is, this time he's a runaway. Anyway, okay, so basically that is Peter Rabbit, Rose Byrne's relationship. The rest of the points will be focused on the actual, noticeable, believable-ish, we'll discuss, relationship between Rose Byrne's character, B, and Donald Gleason's character, Thomas McGregor. So... Donald Gleason plays the, like, great nephew of the classic Peter Rabbit character, Farmer McGregor, who in this movie is played by Sam Neill and is swiftly murdered by James Corden. Okay, the weird thing is, he is not murdered by James Corden as Peter Rabbit, but Peter Rabbit gleefully claims credit for the death via heart attack. It's like kind of a Shark Tale situation. Right, and he pokes the eye 
It's so gross. McGregor has a heart attack and dies with his eyes open, and Peter Rabbit noticeably pokes the open eye to test if he's dead. Yeah, you're right, because like his arc in the movie is that he has to admit that he is not the hero who killed Farmer McGregor. That's his arc with the animals. But let's just also think about Farmer McGregor's point of view, which is he has spent a lot of time and energy to plant this garden, and animals are trying to eat the food in it. It is food that he grew for himself. I mean, the thing is, Peter Rabbit is the villain of the film Peter Rabbit. He sows destruction everywhere he goes. He only hurts people. There is no redeeming quality to Peter Rabbit. And in the books, I guess he is much more depicted as a child. But in this, he is—he seems to be a full-grown adult rabbit. Yeah, the thing about, like, in the Peter Rabbit books, which I don't know well, but the thing is that he, like you said, he is like a child. And, like, when his mom tells him, don't go into Farmer McGregor's pumpkin patch or whatever, probably not pumpkins, Peter Rabbit's like, yeah, but, like, it'll be fun and probably okay, right? Because I'm a dumb kid. And then he learns his lesson. But... Yeah, here he keeps insisting that he's the leader of the family. He keeps insisting that he's, like, the responsible one who's going to take care of people. But he is actually the worst. And even when he faints towards responsibility, like, after McGregor's death, and he's like, we've all got to take care of this farm and make sure that we don't, like, eat all the crops right away. He then is like, just kidding, go nuts, destroy the farm, destroy the house. It's just absolutely bananas how much... I am rooting for the people, which almost never happens in an animal movie. You're just supposed to think he's so cool, Mark. (sighs) Clearly someone does. And it is only him. So, anyway, here we're in our point two. We're introduced to Donald Gleason as Thomas McGregor, who is the most gung-ho sales assistant at at Harrods ever. He is showing exactly how to clean everything, including using a toothbrush to clean a toilet, and he is about to take a drink from said toilet before he is called into his boss's office to receive some news. Right, and it's that Sam Neill has died, and he's inherited Sam Neill's old estate. Having never met him. Right. But he thinks he's getting a promotion, and when he finds out that the person he doesn't like gets a promotion, he goes kind of wacko, and his boss says, you need to go to the country to cool off. And it's sort of unclear whether he's going to be able to come back to this job. But this is where he meets B, And it's almost, it's a bit of love at first sight in a way where he sees her and is kind of interested, which is the correct response to seeing Rose Byrne. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. In my opinion, it's just the most beautiful place on earth. Well, it just got a lot more beautiful. <laughs> you didn't just say that. And clean, sturdy, functional. Oh, the gate. Yes. I, I thought you were saying I was beautiful. Oh, did you? Uh, no, 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 no. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. I would say that. Hey, I'm, I'm not fishing. I'm not, uh, you are I... beautiful. And she's a little intrigued too, which is also the correct response to seeing Donald Gleason, because no one wears skinny jeans better than him. He's a hottie. So, yeah, he initially, like, discovers the destruction of his house and is trying to keep the animals out. And so he, like builds this heavy-duty gate to keep them out of the garden, which is around the time he first meets B, played by Rose Byrne, and he's like, oh yeah, this place just got more beautiful, and he's talking about his brand new gate, and she thinks he's talking about her, and there's a little bit of awkward confusion before he's like, well, yeah, you're you're beautiful too. 
But then B starts spouting some very radical views of how people should run their gardens. She's like, you should not have a gate because the animals were here before us and they should be allowed to do whatever they want. Entire free for all. You won't get any food based off of how Peter Rabbit has already demonstrated his views towards the garden. I'm just like, you know, B, I've also noticed your house has doors. So hypocrite much? The animals were there first too. Yeah, how dare you even have walls, B? She should have to sleep in the burrow under that tree. We will get there soon. <laughs> I want to say, Donald Gleason is actually quite good in this movie. He is giving a performance that is not bad. He is committed, that is for certain. He's all in on the physical comedy of this thing. Yeah, he really is doing his best. And I appreciate it, but it is nowhere near enough to save this movie. No. But that's basically point two. They meet and they're intrigued with each other. Point three, they start to (laughs) develop feelings for each other. That is basically it. You think rabbits are vermin? You're joking, right? Yes. (laughs) I'm joking because I'm hilarious and whimsical. (laughs) Rabbits are actually perfect creatures. There is a montage of them going on dates. He brings her flowers. She teaches him yoga. He's starting to loosen up and have more fun. Yeah, um, they make s'mores. Oh, I forgot about that one. It then pretty much culminates when it's raining. And in the past, when it was raining, Bee brought the rabbits in and dried them off. But this time, she brings Thomas in and gives him a towel and closes the doors on the rabbits. She doesn't just give him a towel. She's like drying his hair. Yeah, that's true. She's giving him the full rabbit treatment. Uh, Is this when she shows him how rabbits say they're sorry? Maybe, which is by pressing their foreheads together. Yeah, it's weird. In reaction, this is around when Peter Rabbit starts, like, giving Donald Gleason the full Home Alone treatment, like putting rabbit traps all over his home so his hands and his butt get snapped and... A bunch of rakes where he sideshow bobs. That's the thing, like, that joke has been done to perfection, and you gotta work hard to get me to like the rake joke that much again. And when Peter Rabbit is responsible, I don't like it enough. I don't think I will ever like a rake joke enough to overcome the perfection of that scene, also knowing that it happened because the episode was too short. That is the only reason it goes on as long as it does. But that's what's great about it. That's what's great about it. Anyway, so this is also when Peter Rabbit decides to escalate to murder by trying to launch a Blackberry into his throat. Which he does, and right. Donald Gleason only survives because he pulls out an EpiPen, and Peter Rabbit yeah. is very disappointed. Good thing he had it, like, in his pocket. Yeah, thank God, because he would have died, and Peter Rabbit would have celebrated. Yeah, and I don't need to see Peter Rabbit dancing on another man's grave. <laughs> but what happens is then Donald Gleason, Thomas, and, you know, to get back at him, sets a lot of explosives around his house and in the burrow. And at one point, he's just, like, throwing explosives at Peter Rabbit, trying to get him. But also, this whole time, they're pretending to get along because both of them don't want B to be mad at them. And that comes to a head here because B hears these explosives going off, and she's like, hey, what's going on here? And he tells her some lie. I don't remember what it is. But then Peter Rabbit, to reveal the lie, hits the detonator, blowing up his own home, like blowing up the rabbit burrow, which reveals to B that Thomas was using explosives to try to kill the rabbits. It also doesn't just reveal to be that Peter Rabbit blows up the tree enough that it falls on her art studio. Oh, that's right. And she is unhappy. I think this is point four. Yeah, so this is point four, the bomb. I can't believe I thought I liked you. 
You do like me. And I like you. Okay, sweeties. I'm sorry. Come on. Let's get away from this evil man. And then she decides to move away with her house destroyed. And Thomas goes back to the city because he no longer has a reason to stay. Right. He's point headed five. back to Harrods. At which point Peter Rabbit has to go to London to get him, which introduces another big question of this movie, which is, do the rabbits talk like in English? Apparently, yes. But B does not know this. Except it almost feels like she should because B has painted very detailed depictions of Peter's family history from before she came around. And I don't know how she would know that unless she could talk to them. Well, I mean, let's keep in mind, uh, Rabbit starts having kids when they're like six months old. So it conceivably could have, she could have been there for the entire Rabbit's life cycle. No, I think the movie tells us that she arrived after their mom died. Really? Okay. Yeah. Then, yeah, I don't know, because this is where, so Peter Rabbit basically starts talking to Thomas and explains what happens, and Thomas freaks out because a rabbit's talking to him, but then he eventually goes uh, back. Let's be clear, a rabbit in a jacket whose origin is unknown is talking to him. Well, it's his him. dad's jacket, Will. Yeah, but we don't know where it came from. <laughs> but Peter apologizes and convinces Thomas to go back, and they have successfully held Roseburn be in place long enough that there is a reunion. At some point, she says rabbits can't talk. It was my fault. I, I take full responsibility. Oh, my hero, finally admitting that he blew up the borough. Not as you previously claimed the button on the detonator being pushed by a rabbit! Yeah, so he comes back and he's like, look, I did try to kill the rabbits, but also the rabbits are the ones who blew up this tree. And she's like, how dare you imply that these rabbits could possibly push a button on a detonator. She's like refusing to back down. And finally, Peter pulls the detonator out of his inside jacket pocket and mimes pushing the button to show that Thomas was telling the truth. And then she forgives them both and they all live happily ever after. Yeah, there's kind of an implied proposal between Thomas and B. That weird end of movie thing where the movie knows they haven't shown enough relationship to justify a proposal, but wants to demonstrate that it is clearly a relationship that is serious. It's like that ring on the finger at the end of Easter Parade. Right. Hooray, that is it. <laughs> Will, after watching Peter Rabbit, do you find the romance believable? Look, I want to say no, but I'm not sure if it's true. The Roseburn donald Gleason romance is fairly well depicted and believable. Right, we see him, like, say it. loosening up, doing yoga. They're laughing together. They're going on many dates. It's implied that it's over a definitely enough time that they would start a relationship. They are the only humans seemingly within miles. Well, they're the only hot humans. We do have the people in town who are, like, oh, perfectly yes. fine-looking people. But these two are hot. Right. So I believe it. But then there's also a rabbit with an edible complex towards the woman in the relationship. And that throws a wrench in the works. That's the thing. I don't know what to do about that. I don't know what to do about it either. But every week we do rate the believability of a romance on a 1 to 10 scale, with 1 being the least and 10 being the most believable. Will, what would you rate Peter Rabbit? Here's the thing. I think I'm going to give it a 6. That's what I was thinking. Because 
The McGregor stuff works. The McGregor and B stuff works. And Peter Rabbit, it's weird, but like, I would also have a crush on Rose Byrne. <laughs> I hate that this movie succeeds in depicting the relationship, even if it fails in every other way. I would watch, I would easily watch a romantic comedy starring Rose Byrne and Donald Gleason. They should make that. If this movie was just about the two of them as her being the whimsical painter in the countryside and him being the uptight city boy who has to move there because he lost his job, that is a romance movie I would watch and believe. Yeah. There are parts of this movie that almost recall the very strange energy of Wild Mountain Time with these two people across a meadow from one another debating the role of fences between them. But at the end of the day, the movie is called Peter Rabbit and not McGregor. So, it is still terrible. Do not watch. Absolutely dreadful. Mark, do you think that B, Thomas, or Peter is dateable? B, for the most part, but we would probably disagree over whether we are allowed to fence in our garden. Yeah. Not that I ever want a garden. Still, that attitude concerns me. Like, do I have to keep my windows open so birds can come in whenever they want? Thomas, as he loosens up, does seem to get more dateable. Seems a bit more fun. Yeah, but he relapses. That dude is too intense. Yeah, he definitely... The fact that he relapses so fast shows that it's probably not a lasting change. And then we have made our feelings on Peter very clear. I would like to go on a date with Peter Rabbit as a ploy to get close to him so I could murder him. I know this is an anti-murder podcast, so that's a shocking thing to say. Boil him, fry him, cook him in a stew. Well, no, in honor of Sam Neill, I'll have rabbit pie. Oh, perfect. Uh, Will... If you did have to choose one person to date, who would you pick? I don't know. Um, I would date the manager of Harrods because she is a very understanding manager. She cares for her employees and gives him a chance to redeem himself after a pretty bad outburst, but is no nonsense and is very pretty. That is a great answer. She's probably the best character in the movie. Um, There are about four humans. (laughs) I am going to say, I keep thinking of animals that I'm like, I'm going to say the fancy pig with the pink jacket, but like, I don't actually want to want to date him. I don't want to date anybody who's part of that chaos in the house. Like, if if like Daisy Ridley were an option in the movie, but it's a rabbit voiced by Daisy Ridley. Maybe Sia Hedgehog? She seems responsible. Mrs. Tiggywinkle? Does she? Does she? No. She seems dumb. She seems dumb, but sweet. Again, it's the manager, because there's four people, and the only other one is Sam Neill. I'm going to say the manager of the garden supply store who gives Donald Gleason the equipment to murder the rabbits. Ah. Mm, Okay. That's deep in the bag. Nice bull. All right. Now, do you think that B and Thomas would stay together? Independent of knowing what we know from the sequel, I'm leaning towards no. Yeah, I just think that he's going to snap soon. I think one snap back to his super uptight ways and B is gone. Yeah. Now, Mark, the most important question to ask. No. Many of the films (laughs) we've covered on this podcast have been adapted into stage musicals. Should 2018's Peter Rabbit, which is kind of a musical already. Remember, the movie starts with those animated birds singing like it's the 2021 Tom and Jerry. They shut down the birds so fast. Should this movie be made into a stage musical? No, nothing should be done with this film because it is garbage. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, I think that the movie's engagement with its musical qualities 
reflects how aggressively cool it's trying to be. Where it's being like, we know some of those kids' movies are musicals, but this is a cool one and singing is stupid. Yeah, it's terrible. So, hard no. Um, obviously, this film has not been adapted into a stage musical, but there have been many, like, children's theater musicals based on Peter Rabbit. And there was once an episode of HBO's storybook musical series in the 1990s that made standalone animated musicals based on children's books. So that exists, too. And of course, there is the great sequence in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, about writing a book report on Peter Rabbit. I mean, it's primed for adaptation, the book. So I get it. But this one, no. All right. I think that is about it. It's all I can stomach talking about this movie. That's for sure. Next week, we will be looking at a movie I went in knowing nothing about and came out of wanting to commit mass arrest. (laughs) Everyone in this movie belongs in jail. A thing we only said once in Deliver Us From Eva. And I can't decide if the people in this one are worse, but I think they are. We are discussing the 1999 film, I believe, Never Been Kissed. But until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us movie suggestions or questions or anything. Just say hi at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts, to help other people find the show. All right, Will. Last question. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from Peter Rabbit? I'm going to say be open to new things, because Donald Gleason had clearly never done yoga before. And I think that helped him as a person, and it helped his relationship. I was about to say, be open to trying the interests of your partner, even if there's something you wouldn't choose to do yourself. All right. Well, until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay, so between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Extreme pressure exerted on him by his deeply rooted rivalry with Fluffy.